Hello and welcome to the Daily Rejoicing Podcast. It is Friday, August the 5th, and we are back in Psalm 24 today. Psalm 24, beginning in verse number 3, the Bible says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. In Israel's day, the ark of God represented the presence of God among his people. After being captured and later returned by the Philistines, the ark resided in the house of Abinadab in Kirath-Jerim for over 60 years. But David the king made it a priority. He understood the importance of the presence of God among the people of God. When the day arrived for the ark to return to Jerusalem, there was great celebration. And Psalm 24 is likely the psalm that was sung as it made its way back to Jerusalem. But even more than celebration, it was a call for sanctification, for separation. Sanctification is becoming more like God, and you do that by separation, separation from the world and unto God. Because in order to be in the presence of God, one must be holy, because God is holy. Ezekiel, Isaiah, and John the Apostle all gave us pictures of the throne of God, and he is surrounded by angels. Above the ark of God, God's specifications for the building were that there were to be two cherubim, one placed at either end of the ark. The two were to face one another, with outspread wings just barely touching. The ark itself was overlaid with gold. Under the wings of the cherubim was the mercy seat, right on top of the ark. And it was from there God promised to communicate with his people. Within the ark were a pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the law. Now, I want to say God is a holy God. I'll say again, God is a holy God. As the ark was marched closer to Jerusalem, this song was sung, this Psalm 24. Soon the ark would rest upon the holy mount. Soon they would be where God promised to manifest himself. It was here that David danced before the Lord with all his might, that sort of uh, folk dance that we don't see today, but back then an expression of praise to God. And so as they got closer, they examined themselves. Verses three and four, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? That was Jerusalem. Or who shall stand in his holy place? That was the temple. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. And so they said, What is required to enter into the hill of the Lord, Jerusalem? Who shall stand in the holy place in the temple? They said, Somebody, somebody has clean hands. Clean hands, it represents our conduct, our actions, what we do. It also says, he that hath a pure heart. Pure heart represents our motives, our attitudes, our will. And it all must be surrendered to the Lord. Verse 5 again, 
uh, or verse four, he that hath not not lifted up his soul unto vanity. I remind you that vanity is empty, false, worthless. What it means here is idol worship. If you put anything above God, anything at all in your heart, then you've lifted up your soul unto vanity. And in order to enter into God's presence, you needed a soul purposed to worship the true God. It also says, he that hath not sworn deceitfully, that means no lying, integrity in all that we say and do. And then verse five, if you have clean hands, a pure heart, you've not lifted up your soul into vanity. You've not sworn deceitfully. Verse five, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So this is the standard by which all people enter into the presence of God. God requires perfection. God knows no sin, and sin is not permitted into his presence. However, sin is a problem mankind has always dealt with. If you're listening to me right now, I can guarantee you're a sinner. Not because sinners in particular are drawn to this podcast, but You're a person, therefore, you're a sinner. Everyone has sinned. You say, well, I've not sinned as much as that guy. You know, even to say that, it's a form of pride. That right there is an expression of your sin. It's an expression of you really not understanding God's view of sin. If you've sinned, you are a sinner. And God cannot touch sin. He cannot be touched with sin. And sin is a big problem. Therefore, in order to access the holy place where the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God would rest, blood had to be shed in order to atone or pay for that sin. Leviticus 16 verses 14 through 16 say, And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering, that is for the people, and bring his blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat, and before the mercy seat, that was the ark. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions and all their sins, and so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation." that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Understand again, sin is no trifle with God. Sin is man's single greatest problem and the root of all other problems. You name a problem that mankind has, and you can trace its origin to sin. Every single problem. Any problem you identify On the news, anything that two commentators get together and debate what is the answer for this problem, first we must identify the problem. It is always sin. And to man, sin is unconquerable. It is an undefeatable foe. Willpower cannot overpower it. Good deeds cannot outweigh it. Education does not eradicate it. Anti-poverty measures do not diminish it. In fact, it equally affects all socioeconomic levels, all ages, man and woman, boy and girl, Republican, Democrat, independent. 
You say we need clean hands to approach the Lord? Uh Uh-oh. I don't really have those. And neither do you outside of Jesus Christ. And speaking of Jesus Christ, let me tell you about Jesus. When Christ died and rose again, he then ascended up to heaven to the true mercy seat, wherein we as man had but a figure down here below. A moment ago, I read to you Leviticus. Let me read to you Leviticus's companion book in the New Testament, its fulfillment, the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, beginning in verse 23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands or the temple, which are the figures of the true. Figure there means a representation. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once, in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus Christ applied his own blood to the true mercy seat in heaven, once for all, atoning for our sins. It was perfect blood. The blood of bulls and goats could not take away our sin. It was not possible. And then Jesus, as our high priest, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. As our intercessor, he is praying for us every day, all day, ever living to make intercession for us. And on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus, applied to the mercy seat for my sins, in the name of Jesus, I can boldly approach the throne of grace today. I look at my hands, and to me, they look dirty. I examine my heart, and to me, it seems impure. I see when my soul has lifted itself up in vanity. I imagine that I have at times sworn deceitfully. But I bring these to God today as a Christian, and I ask Him for forgiveness, and He replies, What sin? The blood of my Son has been applied to the mercy seat and been applied to your account by faith in His sacrifice. There is therefore now no condemnation And he says, so what can I do for you? Here's some mercy. Here's some grace to help in time of need, my child. And where I would assume that I should find only judgment, condemnation, holy wrath for my shortcomings and sin before a holy God in the holy place right there at the mercy seat, I now find only grace, only mercy, only acceptance. And it's all because of the blood that has been applied to the mercy seat for my sins. My friend, are you saved? Have you put your faith in Jesus? The work is done. You have but to believe and receive his gift of eternal life.